The Bible Study Podcast, episode 540. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the kings of Israel and Judah with 2 Samuel 21. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I've been saying for some time now that we're studying the kings of Israel and Judah. And of course, Judah is not a separate country yet. But if you hang on here, we're starting to wrap up David. We'll get into Solomon, and then we get two countries. So just be patient with me. Today, we're going to deal with two different issues. The first one is the Gibeonites avenged. From 2 Samuel 21, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israel had sworn to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. They answered the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. The king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Ahaz's daughter, Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merab, which she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai, the Maholothite. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Rizpah, daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Ayah daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bodies of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen the bodies from the public square at Beth-Shan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down on Gilboa. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father, Kish, Adzela and Benjamin, and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. This is one of those odd stories, a very Old Testament story. I don't know if this still happens today. Certainly there are genocides that happen today, and certainly there are genocides in our country's history and in other countries' history, in Rwanda, in the Balkans, the genocide against the Native Americans. There's a lot of times where people try and destroy another people. It's not as uncommon as we would like. It's not just the Holocaust wasn't the only time that happened, for instance. 
And I suspect that God is still not pleased with that kind of behavior, period. Now, it's difficult for us to get this kind of direct access where David finds out that this displeasure of God has led very specifically to a famine. We don't have as direct path, or at least most of us don't, that we find out that kind of guidance today. But it gives David the king one of those decisions that makes you not want to have the job. When we talk about leadership, sometimes we talk about the power of leadership. We see why people want to be leader because they have the power that it would give them, whether they're running for president of the U.S. or whether they're you know, wanting to be king like we had the two revolts that just happened in the last two chapters. They wanted to be king because they wanted the power. But what this chapter talks about is, yes, but— There is a power in being king. You get to make this life and death decisions. But on the other hand, you have to make these life and death decisions. Somebody had to decide, shall we continue to lose people in a famine or shall we lose these seven people? And our leaders today have to make those kind of decisions all the time. And sometimes it's very direct, like sending the military into harm's way. Is that worth the risk? Is that worth the treasure and blood for this particular situation? It's a difficult decision. Sometimes it's less direct. When you get rid of the safety rule, for instance, I heard somebody talking, for instance, about Volkswagen and the big suit against them because they cheated on the emission standards for their cars. And we think of that as being unfair, but what we don't usually hear told is how many people in Europe, where Volkswagen is based, die from results of air pollution in a given year. And all of these things are connected. And so when you choose to fund this project and not fund that project, for instance, the leaders of our country, you are probably choosing that someone will die. In many cases, there are serious decisions that need to be made, and we need to understand, in our case where we get to choose leaders, that we need to choose people who are capable of making that kind of decisions, and we shouldn't seek those kind of positions if we're not willing to make these hard, hard decisions. I can't say that David was wrong to make this decision. I don't know how many people were dying because of the famine, but I can't say that I would want to have to make that choice. And so we get the story of what the decision that David has to make because of the wrong that Saul has done, where he has broken a promise that the people of Israel made to the Amorites. And then we also see the faithfulness of this daughter, Rizpah, who stays with the bodies of her kinsmen throughout the harvest season, day and night, so that they won't be taken away or eaten eaten by the birds or eaten by the wild animals. And that story doesn't have to be here in terms of the story of the kings, but it's a story that tells us something about family devotion. And I think that's probably why it was included. As we hear the story, we are moved as David was. And then David goes and because of this action, goes and and finishes something else. He finishes going to get the body of Saul and Jonathan and burying them along with these seven kinsmen in the tomb of Saul's father. Something that maybe he should have done earlier, but he's moved, I think, to do it because of this act of their kinsmen, this daughter, Rizpah. 
And then the chapter ends this way with the war against the Philistines. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, Never again will you go out with us into battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At the time, Sibachai the Hushathite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair, the Bethlehemite killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle which took place at Goth, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in all. He was also descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men." One of the interesting things about this section is we haven't heard about the Philistines in a number of chapters. Remember, when Saul is anointed king, it's largely because they have so much problem with the Philistines. When David is done fleeing from Saul and becomes king, he's still spending a lot of his time fighting the Philistines, who Saul and Jonathan died fighting the Philistines. So there was a lot of fighting in the Philistines, and then through much of David's reign, we don't hear about them. We don't hear about them. And here, though, we're starting to see David's time wrap up. He gets to the point now where he can't be the one who goes out and fights, right? This is the last time they send him out. He goes out and he fights, and he's no longer a young man. And he is nearly killed because he is no longer a young man. He's no longer able to do this fighting. And so this is the last of the wars that David will fight as we start to wrap up the story of David. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.